idea of relationships. News article, December 7th, 2011. The 13-year-old boy who admittedly threw a shopping cart over a fourth-story railing in New York, striking a philanthropist mom of two, cared more about his sneakers than the woman he nearly killed, officials said Tuesday. The respondent was more concerned with the condition of his sneakers than with the condition of his victim. City lawyer Leah Schmelzer said of Giovanni Rosario, 13, whose legal fate in the prank originally set for decision Tuesday was delayed due to lingering sentencing issues. Am I going to get my sneakers back? Rosario asked as he was led off to detention, a police source said. Victim Marion Hedges had been at the mall purchasing Halloween candy in bulk for disadvantaged children. And her own 13-year-old son watched in helpless horror as she was struck. She remains seriously injured from a severe head injury. I'm being told only that she is at the point where she has to relearn her name and other basic functions. This is what culture is producing. I don't know if you followed the story. A 13-year-old kid dropped a shopping cart four stories from a shopping mall onto a lady down below. (coughs) Crushed her, caused serious injuries. And, you know, I was reading that story the other day, and I think the thing that just startled me about it is the fact that the kid just didn't care. I mean, if he's just being a prankster and he's joking around and he's, he's like so remorseful and broken about the fact that he did this. But what the, what the article says is the kid's more concerned about his sneakers, right? And you have to step back. This is a moment of pause as Americans. We have to step back and we say, you know, I don't think human to human interaction is going the way it's supposed to go in our country. Like, I don't think people know, how could you be more concerned about sneakers than you are about a person? Like, is there something wrong with the dynamics of how we interact with one another fundamentally that is, that is wrong? And, you know, the truth is we live in a culture of confusion when it comes to this area of finance, or finances, that's true too, but when it comes to this area of relationships. I remember a while ago, I was uh, helping a friend um, during the very early stages of a church plant in Fenway, Boston. And he said, Justin, would you be willing just to go out with me on the streets and just talk to some students, you know, just kind of like interact with students? I was like, yeah, man, that'll be awesome. So me and my friend David, we hit the streets of of downtown Boston, 300,000 college students in every direction. You know what I mean? Just like so many college students, as far as the eye can see. And I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm just going to kind of interact with some students, talk to people about Jesus. So I just get out there. I start walking around. A couple kids walk by. I say, hey, guys, how's it going? Like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. And it's like, hey, man, what's up? You know, how are you doing? And then this other kid's sitting down, and I sat down next to him. I said, how's it? Just start talking to him. I look at him. He didn't even realize I'm talking to him. He's got the little white disease coming out from his ears, you know. And he looks at me, and he's like, oh, uh, what's up, man? And you're like, oh, forget it. Finally, I corner these, uh, these kids that um, I start talking to him, and I start sharing about Christ. And, you know, I'm talking for a while, and they're smiling. I'm thinking, this is going great. And they look at me, and they go, oh, we don't, no, we don't speak no English. <laughs> and I'm like, dang! You know, like... I can't find anybody that will talk to me. And I realized, like, in our culture, like, here we are saturated with people, but nobody knows how to interact. Like, there's people as far as the eye can see, but we don't know how to functionally communicate. I mean, have you ever been in that elevator? We don't know how to communicate. I mean, I remember my my buddy in college was doing this, like, experiment. 
And we get in the elevator, and I got a pizza in my hand from More Than Pizza, which is a, it'll kill you, but, you know, I had this pizza in my hand, and he walks in the elevator, and he walks straight to the back of the elevator, and he just goes like this. And I'm standing there, and I'm like, culturally, that's not how it goes, bro. You stare at the numbers. You don't stare at the back wall. And I'm like, you're freaking me out. Come on, turn around. What are you doing? And he's like, ah, oh, I was just playing a joke on you. But, like, human interaction is clumsy these days. It's clumsy because people don't know how to do it. And the problem goes super deep into every sphere of life. And there's just confusion. I mean, think about teachers and students, for example, right? You've got the students trying to kill the teachers sometimes, legitimately. I'm not joking. And then you have the teachers sleeping with the students, right? I mean, how often have you read those articles? Have you ever seen that in the news? I mean, it's like consistently, it's like, really? This is how it's, this is how it's happening now? You've got husbands and wives. There's probably no more confusing relationships in our culture than husbands and wives, right? I mean, it is totally, totally jacked up. I'm on the internet, which don't do this at home. I'm on the internet. And I'm trying to just get some examples for this. And so I type in open marriage on Google. And, you know, an open marriage, for those of you that don't know what an open marriage is, is it's a marriage that the two individuals are comfortable with the other party cheating on them. So in other words, it's like, you know, I'm cool with my wife just cheating on me. And I'm reading this thing, and I'm I'm being very careful because, like, you know, you can go to very evil places on the Internet very quickly. And so I'm, like, trying to scan just the Google search, and I find this thing that says, like, 10 keys to an open marriage. And I'm like... I got I to gotta read a little bit of this. So, so I like I click on it and it starts telling me about the keys to an open marriage. And they're like the, the major key to an open marriage is communication and rules. They said the key is to have clear expectations on the front end. See how this works is you have to decide, OK, you know, husband, I'm only going to cheat on you one day a month. That's the rule. If we do two, we're way off here. But one is fine. Or another rule could be, you know, I'm just not, it's a don't tell rule, right? So whatever you're doing is fine, but just don't tell. And the key to having a functional open relationship is to have these rules clearly set in place from the beginning. I mean, my rule would be like, Okay, I'm going to I'm going to kill someone. How's that for a rule? Like, I mean, like that does not work. Like, I mean, that seriously is a dysfunctional relationship. There's nothing functional about that. You know, parents and children. Right. I mean, you've all been there. You've seen it. You know, like some parents are like, get ready, boy. You know, and it's like, well, dude, that ain't right. And then other parents are like, well, he's my special friend. Right. And it's like, well, is that right either? You know, I was doing some research on this and I found a great quote by. Will Farrell, he said this, talk to your children at least once a week. If you've got time, do it two or three times a week. But otherwise, I find the times where I let weeks and weeks go by without talking to my children, that adds up. That's what Will Farrell had to say about, of course, he was kidding. Employer-employee, right? Employer-employee relationships. How does that work for you? Well, statistically, one out of every four employees has either committed a fraud at work or witnessed someone else committing a fraud at work. See, we, we, our entire, and you think about this, have you seen someone? Well, one in four, statistically, have you committed a crime at work? That relationship is completely confused. What we've done in America is if it's the man, you can stick it to the man, right? And if it's, if it's, in other words, if it's the machine, dude, if it's the government, listen, man, they're taking from me anyways, every chance they get it. I don't have a, you know, we have all these good reasons where if we can just differentiate, if it's not my brother, if it's not someone I know then I don't feel that bad about it, I've created these barriers so that I can do things that are unethical and not feel terrible about it. 
And our entire nation is culminating in this hot mess of relationships. Employers don't know how to deal with employees. Employees don't know how to deal with employers. Parents don't know how to deal with kids. Kids don't know how to deal with parents. Husbands don't know how to deal with wives. And wives don't know how to deal with husbands. And all the relationships compound to an absolute economic, social, and cultural disaster. Right? Our national debt just hit $15 trillion. Right? I don't know if you knew that. That's a lot of money, by the way. If you have that, we could, you could just pay it off. be great. But, you know, it, child abuse comes out of this dysfunctional relationship. Divorce, poverty, economic collapse, theft, vandalism, you know, big government payoffs, big company payoffs, failing schools, broken homes. All of this stuff comes out of, guess what? The fact that we don't know how to do relationship. <coughs> There's no way to protect from a cough when you've got this thing attached to your face. Just to let you know. So here's what I'm proposing today, that it is going to take a radical departure from what culture says is cool in order for us to get back or to get ever to a functional, healthy relationship model. Okay, so if you're not ready for a radical change right now, if you're not ready for a significant departure from the from the cesspool of cultural disaster that we live in then you are not going to see the real fruit and victory that Christ has to offer. You know, what's your story when it comes to relationship? And this is the thing that, I mean, I'm I'm not even uh, exaggerating, that I was weeping about this week. Are you tired of the wreckage in your own life? Maybe it's that dating relationship. Maybe it's that relationship with this guy that you're buying drugs from. Maybe it's that deep-seated wound with your parents or your ex-wife or your kids? Are you tired of the wreckage of relationship in your own life? Are you? Because every one of us experiences that wreckage. There is no way in the world you're sitting in this room without some level of that wreckage surrounding you. Maybe it's the guy at work that you know is lying and stealing. Maybe it's your boss that you know is deceiving people. I don't know what it is in your life, but I can guarantee you that you are surrounded by the wreckage of messed up relationships. And my question for you is, what are you going to do about it? And how do we fix it? So let's go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Y'all excited about this? (laughs) Ephesians 5. Here we go. We got one very excited woohoo. I really appreciate that. Ephesians 5. I'm going to start in verse 20 just to give you some, just to give you some background. But verse 21 is going to pop up there. And verse 21 is sort of the, sort of the, 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 um, Kind of impetus, kind of the big idea. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's verse 21. And Paul lays out something that is absolutely cataclysmic to our perspective of relationship in America today. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What he just did there is he laid out an entire life system that if you would apply it to your life, it will rearrange and mess up a number of your relationships and eventually bring supernatural healing. So I want to give you kind of a big idea you can write down and then we're going to unpack it for a few minutes, okay? God intended all relationships to operate through the filter of Jesus as king. You can go ahead and write that down. God intended 
all relationships to operate through the filter of Jesus as king. God intended all relationships. I'm giving you literally the key to relationships according to scripture. And we'll unpack it in a second here. God intended all relationships to operate through the filter of Jesus as king. Raise your hand if you're over 25. Good. I'm 29. And I don't know if you remember the days where this did not exist. Do you remember those days? I mean, I remember as a kid, I can remember the water bottle revolution where all of a sudden like people are buying water in bottles. And I can remember as a kid, like it was, it was incredibly confusing to me because I was like, wait a minute, you're going to pay a buck for water. I mean, I have water out of the faucet for free. Like, why would I pay for water in a bottle when I can just put it in a cup for free? Like it didn't click for me. You know what I'm saying? Like the whole thing was like, dude, why are you buying water? Like, well, it tastes different. I mean, it's water. Like, it's not, it's not Coke. I mean, it doesn't taste different. It's, you know, well, wait a minute, Justin. It does taste different. And as time goes on, even me, I'm like, it's a little metallic. I don't think that this is filtered, right? And so, and then we go through, and I remember for me, the big, the big change for me was I, we were at an event uh, traveling with, and I, there's this, this friend who may listen to this podcast, JD, if you listen to this, I'm slamming you right now. And, uh, we're all working, you know, we're sweating, we're setting up because we set up all our own stuff at events and we're doing this big event. We're setting up and I said, I said, hey, yo, you want some water? He's 18. And he turns around and he goes, what kind? And I was like, you know, the wet kind. I mean, water. Are you thirsty? You want some water? And he goes, well, is it Poland Spring? And I said, no, it's like Dasani or whatever. Nobody knows how to say that. Dasani, Dasani, you know, it's this kind, you know. No, it's not Poland Spring. He's like, no, I'm good. And I was like, dude, you are a Poland Spring snob. I mean, like, you won't drink other water. Like, are you serious? And then Greggles, the guy running sound, was like, yeah, I like Poland Spring too. And then they were like, hey, next time, can you guys just buy Poland Spring instead? And I'm thinking to myself, like, what's happened here? As a kid, we just drank it out of the faucet. Now, if you drink it out of the faucet, like, you're dirty. Like, you drink water out of the faucet? What kind of freak are you, you know? And, and, and I'm like, well, hold on a second. And, and then, you know, and then I had to catch myself. I was like... It does taste a little different, you know, like, and we have this whole thing about water, don't we? I mean, come on, you do, you do. Some of you, you're 14, you never drank water out of a tap your entire life. I know it's true. I know it's true. You know, my wife went to India, um, and uh, when I was in college, she uh, was a missionary and went to India and was in Javapur, India, doing some outreaches um, and sharing the gospel, doing some incredible stuff. And one of the things that they had told her to do is, you know, um, to make sure that you only drink filtered water because the American body was just not used to some of the things that were in the water uh, in this particular area of India. And so they would get very sick if they, they drank it. There were some bacteria in there that their bodies had not built up immunities to, so they weren't able to drink it. So they had to always, you know, boil their water or I don't know the whole process, but filter their water. And so they had to buy filtered water. So one day they buy this purified water that actually had not been purified. And so my wife drinks the water and gets ferociously sick. And starts throwing up and diarrhea and fevers. And for two weeks, she was, yeah, I mean, it was everywhere. You know, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, I wasn't there. But, you know, for two weeks, literally bedridden in India. I mean, I'm getting pictures of my skinny little wife, like, you know, in India, bedridden. I mean, like, you know, I wasn't married at the time, but, you know, it's just scared for her. And literally, it took her two years, two years for her body to work properly after experiencing that bacterial infection. Isn't it interesting that water can look exactly the same to the human eye, but one will kill you and one will refresh you, right? 
all human relationships need to be filtered through Jesus as king. Thank you. I thought it was good too. (laughs) Jesus is the filter. And what I'm telling you is if you would filter that bad relationship through that filter, it can actually refresh your life rather than destroy your life. It's the filter that every human relationship has to go through. So let's look at this passage a little bit closer, okay? Verse 21. I'm going to drink some filtered water before we do. Delicious. Verse 21. Here we go. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting. You can write this down. This word submit is a very specific word in the Greek. It is a military term, okay? It is a term much like if we said, you know... um, camouflage or G.I. Joe or not obviously like that, but it's a word that immediately the people of that day associated with military. Okay. So it was a word that meant that you arranged your troop under the command of one leader. You submit to that leader. So we've got one leader, he's overseeing us and we're all submitting to that leader. You know, saints of old called it the Christian grace of submission. And what it means is that I've aligned myself under someone, right? And so what the scripture is telling us to do is to submit to each other, but it's not out of each other. This is the key to understanding God's relationships. It's not because you're you that I'm submitting to you. It's because he's him. That I'm submitting to you. So there's this interactive submission one to another. And it's actually the only way for us to have pure motives. In John chapter 5, I'm going to zip over there real quick. Jesus says this, I can do nothing on my own, son of God. I can do nothing as my, on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Why is his judgment just? Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What he's saying here is he's saying that submission to the father has enabled him to have a pure motive and just judgment. You following me? So submission, a key critical uh, thing in order to have godly relationships. So if you know the story of the centurion, he's a Roman soldier. He comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, would you heal my servant? And Jesus says, yes, I'll come to him and heal him. And the centurion says, no, 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 don't worry about it. Uh, I understand. I'm a man. Check this out. Under, under authority. And I understand how it works when you're in submission. All you have to do is speak the command and the command is done as long as you're under submission to your authority. Right. And he said, I see that that's how you're operating. You're operating from submission to the father. So if you just say it, it's done. And Jesus marvels. He says, I can't. I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. He says it's done. See, we think of submission in our culture, and of course, we're a bunch of rebels at our core, right? I mean, America was birthed out of rebellion, right? I mean, so we think submission, man, I'm not doing that. I'm not submitting to anyone or anything. I want control. I want to be the one in control. And what I'm telling you is the fundamental aspect of human relationship in Christ begins with this idea of submitting. And the thing is that actual freedom comes out of submission Rather than bondage out of submission. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is a very fluffy translation. Reverence. The word is actually fear. You can write that down if you'd like. Submit to one another out of fear is what it says. Out of fear. And people don't like this. Oh, no, 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 no. Wait, Justin, not fear. No, no, no. Perfect love casts out all fear. We're not supposed to fear anything. I'll fear no evil. You know, and I understand all that. This is not fear like, you know, I'm a prisoner and I'm afraid of the torturer who's going to torture me. That's not what he's talking about here. It's like I'm a son and I deeply respect my dad and I want him to be happy with me. And so I 
fear him. I reverence him. I understand that his greatness is true and I respect that. So it's fear that's born out of respect is what it's describing here. So here's what he's saying. He's saying in every human relationship, never forget that it's not just a vertical th- or a horizontal thing that's happening. There's also a vertical thing that's happening. In other words, what's happening is I am seeing you right now and I'm talking to you. And man, you're a real jerk to me. And you know what? I should just I should just yell at you right now. But before those words come out of my mouth, it gets filtered through the lordship of Jesus. Right. And all of a sudden I see him over me and I see his greatness. And so just as I'm about to say you. I realize filtered through lordship of Jesus submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you see how this works? So every human relationship gets filtered through the filter of Jesus as Lord. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you ready to apply this? Here's the deal, okay? Everybody likes the idea. Yeah, cool. Well, let's apply it. Now we're all offended. So here we go. You ready to get offended? No, I really don't want to offend you here. I just want to read what the Bible says. And sometimes reading the Bible, it's like, oh, ah, ah. you know, like we, we, you know, we read it. It's like, oh, I don't like that. Like, we'll just read verse 22, the first two words, and women will start screaming. Wives. Here we go. Let's da- we're going to dig into three different relationships that Paul gives as examples for application. So now let's experience the filter. It's very nice to say, yes, yeah, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Great. Very cool. Let's see how it works. Well, here's how he describes it as working. Okay, you all with me? Don't worry, husbands, you're getting it too. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I've been teaching my wife that one for a while now. (laughs) Trying to get her to refer to me as Lord Justin. (laughs) Not working out. I'm just kidding, by the way. Don't get offended. I'm just kidding. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You just got to have a little fun, right? His body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, so here's the whole deal. You know, some of you are wives. Let me see your hand, wives. A lot of wives in here. So some of you are like, you don't understand. My husband is stupid. Like, I mean, I love him. He's just, a, he's just stupid. Listen, you don't submit to your husband because he's smarter than you. You don't submit to your husband because he's more spiritual than you. You don't submit to your husband because, you know, he is the greatest husband on planet earth. You submit to him out of reverence for guess who? It doesn't say submit to him out of reverence for him. It says submit to him out of reverence for Christ. So in other words, what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, this is the best way a marital relationship would work is that you're going to entrust your husband to steer and guide. Now, you've got to be clear all throughout the scripture. We see that God uses men and women to steer and guide. And there is this beautiful, nuanced relationship between male and female. We're not the same. But in God's eyes, the scripture says there's no longer male or female in the sense that one is not greater. One is not less. It's the same with races. One is not greater. One is not less. But all are made equal in the eyes of God. But in the midst of our equality, God has given us specific anointed roles and when we submit to those roles the blessing of the lord is released in our lives and so what he's saying here and you may say dude i don't i don't like this i don't pre- I, you know this is not current like we should change this we'll go ahead and try go ahead and try and you're going to have shopping carts falling from fourth story floors that's what's going to happen because it's a train wreck whenever we begin to try to reorganize how god designed relationship And so, you know, here's the, here's the challenge. Women, I, I, you know, well, you know, I can work my husband. I can play him. You know, maybe you're not married. Maybe you're dating and you've gotten so good at playing guys 
and just control it. Oh, well, I really want it. Or whatever it is that you're doing to kind of manipulate or play them, control them or nag them. Whatever it is you're doing. Listen, maybe the guy will never pick up on it. Maybe he's just, doo, doo. you know, maybe that's where he's at. And maybe he will never pick up on it. But you know what? God picks up on it. He picks up on it. And we submit to one another, not out of reverence for each other primarily, but out of reverence for Christ. Christ is the root of our submission, right? And when you dishonor your husband, you're not just dishonoring your husband, you're actually dishonoring God. Let's keep going, though, because husbands get the slap down, too. Husbands, love your wives. Good, let's stop there. Next thing. No. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'll just finish the passage and we'll go back and pick it apart. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He's talking about Christ and the church. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So what he's saying here is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. I know some of you aren't married. You say, just this doesn't apply to me. Bro, this completely applies to you. Because you've got to start re-hardwiring your brain now if you're ever going to get this thing right. Now let me ask you, any Christian in the room, does Jesus dominate you? Does Jesus manipulate you? Does Jesus control you? How many times has he said, listen, get in line? He doesn't do that, does he? That's not his leadership style. So as a husband, if you're supposed to lead as Jesus leads, then you are not supposed to dominate or, or manipulate or control your wife. In fact, you're supposed to give up everything for her. Bro, you haven't spent an hour with her, but you haven't missed a Patriots game. You, late, you work late every single night, but you don't make priority her in your life. You are dishonoring God, let alone her. Yeah, your marriage will crumble, crumble because you're breaking the commands of God. But, but on top of that, you're dishonoring him. You're dishonoring the Lord. The man is required to submit to Christ in the relationship, make him Lord of his life, filter his relationship with his wife through his wife. What if she doesn't deserve it? It's not about her. Don't you see that? It's about him. So I submit to Christ not because of her, but because of him. And my submission to Christ is to love my wife and to sacrifice everything on her behalf. I remember, how many of you guys got kids here? Three of us. Awesome. Yeah, the rest of us don't. Well, get ready. Buckle up because kids will kill you. It will kill you in the most beautiful way. I remember the day my son Gabriel was born. He's five years old now. You know, when I got married, like some of me died. But my wife is like awesome. So not that much of me died. It was like, dude, this is fun. Like, it's just, you know, it was a blast. But then when Gabriel died, I remember my wife's passed out. She just had the kid. No, he didn't die. He was born, though. No, thank you. So anyways, he doesn't die. In Jesus name. He, well, one day he will. But anyways, so he's in he's in the little thing in the little cooker. He's got the, the Smurf hat on that they stick on the kid. Kid had the biggest cone head in the history of Earth. Right. And, and he's sitting there all wrinkly and purpley looking. And I'm like this. Yeah, he's breathing. Yeah, he's still breathing. Okay. Still breathing. You know, like I'm checking like every five seconds to make sure he's breathing, you know. And my wife is totally sleeping, you know. And I'm standing there alone in the hospital room. And Gabe's just kind of sitting there squirming around. And all of a sudden this wave, being totally honest with you, this wave of selfishness. It's kind of like washes over me. And I'm like, what about my time? What about my money? 
what about my plans? What about my great destiny in God? What about me? What about if I want to go with the guys tomorrow? What about if I want to take a trip? Wait, what, what about, oh, oh. It, it, all of a sudden, like this big wave of selfishness came over me. And there was this moment, like this moment of decision alone in the hospital room. And I remember I just began to weep. And I started talking to him. And I said, Gabe, my life is for you now. And I don't care what that means for me. My life is for you now, son. And something shifted in my heart. And I have to be honest, I have to be honest. There has never been a struggle for me to sacrifice for my kids since then. It hasn't been a struggle. There's sometimes where I'm just a doofus that I miss it. Like, oh, shoot, I should have sacrificed, stuff like that. But it's never been this struggle of the wills. What about me? Because me died in that hospital room five years ago. That desire for me to just pleasure me died, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to make my ceiling his floor. I'm going to invest everything I've got in this kid. I am going to give all that I can to bless and love and serve him. And I do it joyfully with no desire for return except to glorify God. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Are you seeing how this works? There is a self-death that is absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. And I urge you to begin to filter your relationships through Jesus as Lord. Men. It's time. Let's look at children and parents, okay? So we're looking at three different ways that we apply this idea. The, third, the second one, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So what he's saying is he's saying, listen, you obey your parents, children. You obey your parents because the Lord do you see this? Do you see how everything gets filtered through this relationship again and again? Now, there is a time as an adult where you, you're no longer required, I believe, to obey everything your parents say as much as you are to honor your parents. Specifically, if your parents are asking you to do something that's completely unbiblical, then you honor them in disobedience. But you say, listen, I'm not going to kill that guy, mom, you know, because I know you want me to just shoot him right now. And I'm not going to do that. And I'm not trying to disobey you. So there are those moments. And I understand that. But the, the general rule here is that I honor and obey you because of Jesus. Not because you're perfect dad. But because of Jesus. And then look what it says about parents. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. In other words, hey, you're supposed to be involved, dad. Do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is a nuanced passage that is is always every parent has to wrestle with this okay in other words the first thing is says you better not be screaming and you know yelling at your, you better not be provoking them to anger and if you are your accountability is god you see how this works god is the one that you'll need to answer to and so we understand that it's out of the fear of the lord reverent respect for him that his parents i am in check me and my wife had this little agreement that if we ever get angry or do anything out of anger, maybe we don't even speak out of anger, but just act out of anger, just like, come on, you know, whatever with our kids, we confess it to one another because God sees it. And we don't want any of that hidden in our marriage or in our relationship with our kids. And we're quick to repent to our children if we get frustrated or angry at them. So that's the first thing is you can't go that far. But then the other side is clear too. You can't just be cookie. You can't be fluffy, fluffy, smuffy here. Right? It says very clearly, you've got to bring them up in the discipline and instructing. So you better be disciplining and instructing them. People have different philosophies on how they discipline their kids. And that's fine. I understand that. But what I'm saying is you better be training. Because if it's just you saying, oh, well, they're good kids. No, they're not, dude. they got sin inside their soul. And someone's got to teach them right and wrong. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then let's look at this third relationship here. Employer, employee. 
Slaves. <laughs> now, this is not the Apostle Paul giving the overall acceptance of slavery, okay? Slavery in his day, one out of every three people was a slave. And culturally, you could buy out of slavery. You could be a slave for a season, and then you could be released. It wasn't necessarily a racial thing. It wasn't necessarily an economic thing. People would get sold into slavery. They'd get sold out of slavery. It was, off, it was far more like occupation, although there were certainly lots of injustices regarding slavery. I'm not saying it was a wonderful system or anything. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is very different than what we think of slavery today. But he's saying, slaves, obey your masters. Now, we have to look at this through the lens of my employer, employee. There's some truths here that will mess you up with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he'll receive back from the Lord, whether he's slave or free masters do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both your, their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. You see how this works? Everything gets filtered through the lens of Jesus. So if you're an employee, how many are employees here? Let me see your hand. If you're an employee. Yes, so lots of us. Here's what he's telling you to do. This should challenge you. This should mess you up a little bit. He says you should be working as if you're working for God. That's how you should be working. And then it says you should be working from the heart. And it says, listen, if you see your ultimate employer as Christ, then guess what? He pays you. You'll receive back from the Lord. That's what the scripture says. And you say, well, Justin, you know, my boss is such a jerk. My boss is, you know, da, da, da. yeah, okay, he is. What are you going to do? Are you going to work for the Lord or are you going to work for him? And if you work for the Lord, that means you work heartily. That means you work as to Christ. That means when everybody else is taking a 45-minute coffee break, you're not, right? I mean, I remember when I worked for one organization for a short amount of time. I mean, it was ridiculous. Like people would be like, hey, I'm going out for lunch. Four hours later, they'd come back with shopping bags. I was lunch. No, it wasn't lunch. You just cut out your whole day. Do you do that? Well, dude, you don't understand. Everybody punches the time card for four and leaves at three. Really? Really? That's how you do it too? Is that how it works? That's just the way it goes? Or is that what liars do? Is that what people do who are working for the man? But you're working for the Lord, right? And so your whole standard, hopefully this is a little bit uncomfortable for you because your whole standard changes because you're working for Christ. And then we wonder why people don't see Jesus in us at the workplace. Don't follow the rules of the workplace above the rules of eternity in heaven. And then if you're an employer and you're working, people are working for you, Bro, God gives you a smackdown too. And he says, don't be fooled. You might dishonor your employees, but you're dishonoring God really because it's a level playing ground in God's eyes. Question for you. You can write this down if you'd like. What relationship in your life hasn't been filtered through the Lordship of Christ? Uh, Stephanie, if you want to come up, we're going to do a little bit of worship in a minute here. What relationship in your life hasn't been filtered through the Lordship of Christ? Maybe you're here and you've got serious unforgiveness towards your dad. Justin, he does not deserve to be forgiven. Okay. And in Christ, you don't deserve to be forgiven. But Christ has forgiven you. Are you going to filter that relationship through his Lordship and forgive him because of Jesus rather than because of him? Or are you going to think that you have a right to hold on to your bitterness and unforgiveness? 
Have you filtered that relationship through the Lordship of Christ? Because I believe that right now, guys, the hundred plus of us in this room right now, we get to be part of a 2011 transformation of the entire life system. If we start filtering our relationships through Jesus, you know what? You're going to look different at work. You know what? Your family's going to run differently. You know what? Your relationship with your kids, or maybe you don't have kids, your relationship with your friends, your relationship with your mom and dad, everything's going to begin to look differently. And you and I get to be a part of a supernatural, transformative work of the Holy Spirit because we're filtering our relationships through a whole different lens.